1: In
0: 1993, the world was introduced to a white Canadian reggae artist named Snow. His hit song Informer topped the U.S. Billboard charts for nearly two months straight, while Snow himself sat in a prison cell for maybe or maybe not puncturing another human being with a knife, a.k.a. stabbing them. The semi-autobiographical tune echoed a warning to whoever snitched on him in the form of being licky boom-boomed down by the artist himself. Are we risking this fate ourselves by discussing snow this week? Or is the assault on our eardrums punishment enough? Stay tuned to find out.
1: One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. And you can live off royalties forever.
0: And it makes me want.
2: Just a wonder, it one thunder?
0: I want to start this episode by saying that Informer by Snow spent
2: seven weeks at number one on the Hot 100. So seven weeks! Seven weeks, number one, Hot 100. Chris, we're going to put this in the snooze-you-lose category a little bit, but this is also uh, something that we're starting in 2023 which is covering one-hit wonders that we haven't talked about yet that have some type of anniversary. Okay. 30 years ago to the time that this episode drops, Snow's debut album, 12 Inches of Snow, was released (laughs) upon the world. January 18th, 1993, this album dropped, and here we are.
0: (laughs) I don't know if in 150-some episodes of this podcast, if... I've ever had more to talk about than I have for this episode because this story is insane.
2: Snow is one of those artists where on the face of it, you think a great white guy doing reggae music, talking about gangster shit that they've never done. But Snow has done some time.
0: Well, let's start from the very beginning. Darren Kenneth O'Brien, as we all affectionately know as Snow, is a Canadian reggae musician, rapper, and singer. He was raised in Toronto. He was one of four children to an Irish-Canadian cab driver and a homemaker. When his parents got divorced, he was raised in the Projects. Where he was fascinated by the gangster lifestyle. He fell in with a tough Irish Canadian group and became involved in fighting, drinking, and stealing. Yeah. He never
2: learned how to read. No. And dropped out of school in ninth grade. That's true. But he loved his rock music Mm -hmm. and he loved his reggae. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: In 1983, he became interested in reggae music and started using a Jamaican accent. Four years later, in 1987, he served eight months of a one-year sentence after pleading guilty to beating a person with a crowbar Mm -hmm. during a bar brawl. Matt, I want to take a moment to think about this. Could you imagine swinging
2: a crowbar and hitting someone with it. You're talking to someone who... One of the things that I take a lot of pride in, I have never been in a fight. I've never been in a fist fight. I don't even think I've ever been in an actual shoving match that wasn't maybe against some siblings. Mm-hmm. Like The idea of anything escalating to the point where I think, get me my crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is I, so out of the realm of anything I've ever experienced. I
0: mean, that decision... Could be a decision. I mean, I guess he's pretty young at this point, but that could be the rest of your life. You could kill somebody with that crowbar. Yeah. Like, that's a serious weapon. And he did serve eight months for doing that. I don't know where he hit the person with it. If you hit him in the head, you risk killing the
2: person. You definitely risk killing them. You can break a bone for sure if you hit an area that doesn't have enough muscle. Hit it like a part of their arm or their leg or... Yeah, people don't think about the crowbar as much as how much damage it can actually do to a person. It can fuck you up. So it's a bar brawl, and
0: we don't know for sure if this was in self-defense or what. We don't know the full story, but gotta say, Snow kind of seems like a piece of shit. Yeah,
2: it doesn't look great for Snow. No. Out the gate. Yeah, he pled guilty. He's like, I did it. He got released. He did get released, so possibly maybe on some good behavior stuff. Who knows? Yeah. But then he meets a DJ. Yeah. And a friendship is born. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is DJ Marvin Prince. Mm -hmm. So they become friends, and they start practicing in the basement, start playing parties with Snow doing the vocals, and Prince playing the records. So I'm assuming that this is similar to a couple months ago we talked about kid sister and how kid sister start was that she was the MC mm-hmm. while her brother was DJing parties. I do think this is important to point out because there's the difference between being the rapper and being the MC. And it sounds like right now snow was just being the MC to Prince's DJ. And he was showing up at a party. He was spinning records and that snow was maybe being the hype man, maybe occasionally rapping over top of the tracks, but it wasn't, I don't imagine that this was like, oh, we booked Snow to perform at our house. I think it was just, hey, our friend's DJing it and he's bringing his hype man who's this white guy that talks like a Jamaican guy for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, one thing we got to note about DJ Marvin Prince is he claims
0: that he gave Snow his nickname. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, seems obvious to me. He's from Canada. He's white. Snow. Like, I get it. You know, look oh, look at Snow. But <laughs> Marvin Prince claims that Snow meant, stood for Super notorious, outrageous white boy. I
2: like it, but shouldn't it be snow? <laughs> yeah, no, white boy. White boy's is one word. Okay, got okay. good. Okay. Now, according to the Los, or according to an interview with the Los Angeles Times, though, they said that while people liked the tapes, the fact that Snow was white hurt them yeah. from getting signed for a while. This is where the story of Snow, I think, is extra wild because I would have never guessed this piece. But in 1988. Snow is involved in another incident Mm -hmm. in a pub, which leads to two people being stabbed. The other people in the group pointed a finger at Snow, and he was charged with accounts of attempted murder. Rather than tell the authorities who the perpetrator actually was, he served his eight months in jail before jury acquitted him on both accounts. And while he was in jail, he went to school, and he wrote music. And while he was there, he wrote Informer. (laughs)
0: Right. Well, I didn't know that part of it. I was under the impression that he may have stabbed somebody. Yeah. But you read something different.
2: The thing I read was on Wiki. There was definitely a citation needed somewhere in that article. So who knows? But it sounds like he was possibly innocent in this one. But he was just like, I'm not a rat. I'm not (laughs) not going to be an informer. But this is the album, the debut album, 12 Inches of Snow. They had to record super quickly because Snow did have to return back to Canada to report for more prison
0: time. So he went out of Canada to record this? I
2: guess they went to L.A. to record it. Okay.
0: Well, look, here's the story I got. Because he was in prison when the album dropped, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So the story that I read was that he was involved in an incident where two people were stabbed. And then he was charged with two counts of attempted murder. I guess, yeah, he was acquitted. But he later claimed he was fighting with some construction workers who were making fun of him after hearing him singing reggae to some girls. Now, this is where it gets weird to me is these guys are making fun of you. But how did people end up getting stabbed? Yeah. Like, why wasn't it just like, well, fuck you, buddy? Like, how did this turn into stabbing? The mean streets of Canada that we hear about all the time. I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. Stabbing someone.
2: Again, this is, I think that stabbing is actually more difficult than the crowbar to me to imagine.
0: Uh, Yeah. Could you imagine taking a knife? and puncturing somebody's body with it.
2: Yeah. and That uh, is more difficult for me to think of than like swinging a crowbar in anger. At, at a, yeah. Because like a crowbar, it almost feels like I just am enraged and I grabbed something that was nearby and wasn't thinking. Stabbing, it's way more calculated. Right. <laughs> you come prepared to stab somebody. <laughs> so
0: the song Informer is as silly as it sounds, and I never, I couldn't understand half the words of it, but it's a song about violent crime, and that that line, which I always always thought was "licky boom boom down," is actually "licky boom boom dem," which basically it's him saying he'll find and kill whoever snitched on him. Yeah. I'm gonna boom boom them.
2: It, it sounded silly, but he was serious. So I'm looking at the chorus because yeah, you're right. It's so hard to figure out what the hell he's saying here. But informer. You know, say daddy, me snow, me I'll go blame, a licky boom boom down, or dem. Yeah. I understand this one. Detective Mon said, daddy me snow, me stab somebody down the lane. If I'm breaking that down correctly, he's basically saying like, the detective says that I stabbed somebody. Yeah, like,
0: detective man say, said daddy me snow, me stab someone down the lane a licky boom, boom dem means the detective said that I stabbed someone and whoever that informer was that that said that
2: I did, I'm going to kill them. All right. Let's, let's break down the verses real quick because the verses are at least a little bit easier to follow because he's not throwing as much of like the Jamaican dialect in the verbiage. So police, I'm going to change a little bit of this so I don't sound insane reading it word for word. But the police come and blow down the door. One of them crawl through my window. Then they put me in the back of the car at the station from that point on and reach my destination. When the destination reached, it's the East detention where they whip me down Hands looked up me bottom. Yes. So he's getting a cavity. Surge. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's getting a cavity surge. Then we go back into the chorus, the informer part. Bigger they are. They think they have more power. They're on the phone saying that every hour. Dude, we don't need to. Do, this is too much. I'm trying to figure out what the hell is happening in this
0: song. Well, basically it's, Something happened, and someone snitched on him, and whatever i I can't figure out if he actually stabbed people or not.
2: That's what I was hoping maybe we could solve the mystery,
0: <laughs> but, but well, uh, look at some point on a trip to new York, now d j Marvin pitched snow's music to m c Shan, yeah, who was like a who at one point m c shan had a Like rap feud with KRS-One. Yeah, where KRS-One like smashed him. I was was gonna
2: say KRS-One definitely won that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but MC Shan does have a song called "Time for Us to Defend Ourselves." It's like a song about police brutality. It's actually like a pretty cool song. Yeah. So MC Shan introduced Snow to some producers, and then Snow signed to like a you know a sub label of Elektra, uh, and he recorded that album. And he had to record it. Yeah, he had to record it really quickly because he had to return to Canada and report to prison. Yeah. But the album was released while he was in prison and the album sold over 8 million copies. Like I said, Informer was... Number one for seven consecutive weeks. That's insane. It became, it's in the Guinness Book. Well, it was in the Guinness Book of World Records twice as the best selling reggae single in U.S. history, as well as the highest charting reggae single in history. Once again, one of those sad stories where it's like, you really let this cheesy ass white guy have the huge single?
2: Like, do you want to get even more upset? Do you want to hear what? Was below Informer the day that it peaked at number one? Oh, no. What is it? All right. So it peaked at number one on March 13th, 1993. As you said, it held that spot for seven weeks. Here are just a few of the songs still in the top 10 at that time. And number two was A Whole New World from Aladdin uh, by Regina Bell and Mm -hmm. uh, Peebo Branson. Bryson. Bryson, thank you. (laughs) Ah, uh, number three, nothing but a G thing by Dr. Dre. Wow. Number four, Ordinary World by Duran Duran. Oh, Whitney song. Houston was at five and seven with "I'm Every Woman" and "I'll Always Love You." Wow. Arrested Development was at number eight with Mr. Wendell. Mr. Wendell, but yes, great Wendell, song. Wendell. And <laughs> Mr. then
0: Mr. Wendell.
2: And then uh, John Bon Jovi at number ten with "Bed of Roses." Okay. Where we found insensitive, right? As well, well the, the yeah, the movie better for <laughs> yeah. Yes, the fact that Informer for seven weeks was yeah. above Dr. Dre and two Whitney Houston songs, yeah. is insulting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's something
0: about his delivery for sure. It did, it was something different, I guess. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, this is Dewey Halpus, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with
2: one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX and Ian
0: MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.
1: Hey, one-hit thunders. Thunder heads. Thunder buns. All right, I'll just go with one-hit thunder listeners. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week, I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song that they have written. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites such as Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz, up and coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu, and even some of the artists that have been featured on One Hit Thunder. The show is even produced by One Hit Thunder host, Chris Fafalius. What more could you possibly ask for? Krista Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you listen to podcasts and new episodes come out every Monday. I guarantee you'll like it or we'll give you your money back. Yeah, I would love it if there are people out there like, what do you
0: mean, Snow's a one-hit wonder? Don't you know Girl, I've Been Hurt reached number 19 on the charts? <laughs> Which yeah. mm-hmm. I remember Girl, I've Been Hurt. Girl, I've Been Hurt and now I need another lover. Like, that video's kind of funny it's like a a snow covered field and there are women in white bikinis with fur coats like i kind
2: of remembered that song in that video when we were talking about someone who's very easy to compare to snow vanilla ice
0: yes of course
2: there was a point where we talked about in living color
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah
2: and how jim carrey did his mocking of Vanilla Ice. He also did a mocking of snow. Did you watch the sketch? Yes, I did. The vanilla ice one, it feels like they're just poking fun at how corny like vanilla ice is. The lyrics to their song Imposter <laughs> yeah. feels angry. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, like it feels like the whole cast of Living Color all unanimously just decided, fuck snow.
0: Like, yeah. yeah, I think so.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely they definitely
0: tore him up.
1: Imposter I'm just a middle class waker from Toronto, in spite of how I sound. Single one blinding bigger than money and Jimmy and Yellowman, but I'm not even mulatto. My reggae's is watered down. Give me on the radio think I could not be blacker, but on my video you see I'm really a cracker. Pretending I was a raster since I was in jammies. I should pay my base and stop buzzing out from Mary.
0: Another thing that didn't help Snow was he had this giant song, yet he couldn't Tour on it or take advantage of it. Tour in the U.S. because he wasn't allowed into the United States because of his criminal history, so he couldn't promote here. You, you know? know
2: that's going to hurt you.
0: Yeah, probably.
2: Did you see? Unfortunately, one thing that someone could say about Snow being a one hit and uh, not a one hit wonder. Daddy Yankee. Yeah. <laughs> that was way. That was way later. 2019 but- reinterpreted the song Informer and brought Snow on the track for another charting. Scene for Snow. Okay.
0: Yeah. I wanted to talk about that because that is ridiculous too, because I don't know if you watched the music video for that. No, I just listened to the song real quick to make sure I had heard it before. Well, yeah, that song went to number 22 on the Billboard 100 and it it was Snow's first entry since 1993. I mean, that song won the top Latin song of the year at the 2020 Billboard Music Awards. So Snow in 2020 was winning awards instead of Licky Boom Boom Dem in that version. It's, it's him saying, I like your poom poom girl. I like your, I mean, you can use your imagination as to what that means, but the music video has like a CGI version of like this. I don't know. It's like a cartoon. It kind of reminds me of those animojis on your phone, like how you can do like the chicken and the robot and the whatever, but you can also do like, your own face that you created. Yeah. Like they kind of, kind of like a little guy dancing like that. There were definitely some (laughs) moments of other cultural things that involved Snow and Former. One of them, did you watch Last Man on Earth? Yes. With I didn't watch the full series, but I definitely watched the first like two or three seasons. Did you see it when Will Ferrell was on it? Yes. Okay. Well, there's a scene like down around like a fire on the beach or Will Ferrell's down there like singing, singing this song around the fire, <laughs> which is pretty funny. I wanted. to... To note something. I want to take a a step back about a few things. Now, Snow and DJ Marvin Prince had a big falling out. Yeah. Like DJ Marvin Prince thought it was supposed to be a 50 50 deal with everything. Didn't work out that way. There was all kind of drama with that. MC Shan kind of took Snow's side. He denied that DJ Marvin Prince was like co produced or anything. And then DJ Marvin Prince tried to sue Snow and Unfortunately for him, all of their agreements were just oral agreements. There was nothing in writing. Yeah, that's not
2: a good way to do business, Yeah, sadly.
0: So that didn't work out for DJ Marvin Prince. But what I wanted to say was in 1995, strangely, there was an acceptance of Snow from like the real Jamaican artist in Jamaica. Because he did this song, Anything For You, and there was a remix of it. Where he shared it was like, you know, everyone like took a verse or whatever. It had Beanie Man, yeah, and, and, I, and a bunch of other people who I guess are I don't know these people, but Buju Banton, Terror Fabulous, Culture Knox, and Louie Culture. And it became the biggest seller in Jamaica that year. And it's now
2: considered a dance hall classic. I think here's the one thing I will say about Snow. As much as I not to play my hand too early here, as much as I don't really like the person. Snow. Mm-hmm. I do genuinely buy that this guy felt like a certain genre of music was speaking to him and the situation he was living in the same way, say Eminem felt like hip hop was speaking to him in Detroit. Like, I don't think that this was like, I love the Beastie Boys. Mm mm-hmm. But the Beastie Boys have even been on the record. As much as they loved hip-hop, they were a punk band that started rapping originally as a joke and then realized that they were quite good at it. And because they had a love of hip-hop, pursued that career. I think that Snow's love and appreciation of the reggae genre is at least authentic. Because if it wasn't, he wouldn't have still been recording all of these random reggae albums for like however many years he kept putting them out. Um, I do want (laughs) to... I'd heard someone else call this out in a video that I watched when I was researching this. And it is so funny to me that I want to bring it up too. We've talked about the Juno awards quite a bit on this Mm -hmm. podcast. We've covered a lot of Canadian artists. Yes. I want this to to sink in. Snow was nominated and lost three different Juno awards for best reggae recording, (laughs) which seems to imply that for three different years, There was a better Canadian reggae album released that year. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, why not? But yeah, I did want to... I mean, another thing is,
0: it doesn't seem like Snow really ever gave up. Like in the year 2000, he had a single called Everybody Wants to Be Like You, and he got three Juno nominations. I listened to the song. I watched the video. The song sounds very 2000. It's almost like borderline like... Not boy band, but like that kind of like, just light rock or something. I I don't know. It's still he's still doing his thing on it, but uh, it's it's a strange song. But he did, you know, he did have a certain level of success. Two years later, in two thousand two, he worked with Shaggy's producer to record the album Two Hands Clapping, and then the, the first single from it, Legal, it reached number thirteen on the Canadian Singles Chart. I mean. He was still at it, you know? I mean...
2: Well, you know, we talked about this a couple times. If nothing else, if we're looking at, on one hand, Cypress Hill, and the other hand, Craig Mack, and we're talking about how one of the most important things you can do in hip-hop is give somebody something that sounds different than all the other stuff, you got to give him credit. He definitely had a unique sound for what he was creating at that point, at least... Especially thinking about 1993, I don't really know if if like this dance hall reggae sound was even really blowing up just yet. Even Shaggy didn't pop up on the charts until two years later with Boombastic.
0: Yeah, I I know I was a little kid. I don't remember like loving this song, but I definitely didn't not love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there's something about the way he sang those lines, the the licky boom boom them and and the way it was like sung really fast and just sounded cool and as far as like once again this isn't really our place to weigh in on him taking someone's culture and becoming rich off of it because hey man, I play in a rock band and someone could say that about rock and roll too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, for sure. But I just think there's a certain level of silliness to a white dude from Canada, like a cheesy ass white dude from Canada doing doing that. It's like an extra level of like almost ridiculousness. It's it's, it's, it's almost it, like a mockery. I was know? gonna
2: say borders on parody in a yeah. weird way. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you can fall into two camps when it comes to Snow and Informer, right? In 2007, VH1 said that it was the 84th greatest song of the 90s. Mm -hmm. But in 2010, Pitchfork said it was one of the seven worst songs to ever reach number one in the 90s. Yeah. So I feel like the average person, you're going to fall into one of those two buckets. You're (laughs) either going to think, man, this is one of the things that I love and remember from the 90s. Or, ooh, we let this sit at number one for seven weeks. Seven weeks weeks is a... Quite a run. That is almost two full months. In the middle of the early spring, it peaked in March. It'd make more sense to me if you're like, oh, yeah, the song peaked in like June and it was this summer sensation. Well, one thing we got to talk about as far as the music, real quick, too, is
0: even without him on top of it, and no doubt it's a well produced track, like it's danceable as hell. Like it's definitely. Catchy. It sticks in your head. And to this day, I think I've said this on this podcast before. I've said it to my bandmates. Doing something completely ridiculous in a song that makes it memorable, that's a key to a hit song. Yeah. So many times. Having something where you're just like, what? And then all of a sudden you're like dancing to it, you know? This this song is just over-the-top ridiculous. And also catchy and danceable that we could make fun of this guy all night long but also i don't know that i no i couldn't have written this song no i definitely couldn't have written this song and that's where i got to give him a little bit of credit he may be out there stabbing people like that's that's where I can't give him credit. Is I still think there's a chance this dude stabbed somebody.
2: I think yeah, I think there's a higher than average chance that he definitely stabbed a person. <laughs> that ain't good. No, that's not a good way to live your life. It ain't good to reward a guy
0: who stabbed somebody by making his song about stabbing somebody. <laughs> number one for seven weeks straight. That's not good for society. No, but <laughs>
2: but maybe he didn't stab somebody and. But he definitely still hit someone with a crowbar. He didn't write a song about it, but that is a definitive thing he did. Yeah. I don't think Snow's a very good good guy. Or look, it has been 30 years since those events. Maybe almost 40. Maybe Snow in 2023 is an alright fellow, but snow in the mid to late 80s. Was definitely not a nice he was guy. A nightmare. a <laughs> <Like, laughs> total nightmare. Just, just guy will go down
0: the street doing his, doing his, uh, reggae music. Just to what girls on the street, pissing off construction workers apparently, um, stabbing them and hitting them with crowbars. <laughs> like yeah. just no. We we don't know. We we really
2: don't know what exactly went down. Knowing Uh, our luck, this is going to be the episode that the artist hears and we just get lengthy email. (laughs) Snow, look,
0: (laughs) it's an open invitation for you to come on here and and say your piece and defend yourself. I've said everything nice I could say about it. I actually remember kind of liking the song. I was a kid, kind of liking it. I could see why people would want to dance to it. It was different. I'm not going to get into the... uh, you know, appropriating another
2: culture thing. It's not really my place to speak on it. I think Snow's kind of a blunder. I think Snow's kind of a blunder. And I agree with you. The only thing that I will say in Snow's defense, and this is the tiniest of victories, Snow. (laughs) So don't get too excited. He didn't tag team it where he just kept doing different renditions of Informer for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, blunder. Big time (laughs) blunder. Yeah, I'll say blunder. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Sofalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing whenever I want off the Punchline Remix album, Politefully Dead. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash ohtpodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and myself at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder.